A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. We have a lot to discuss in this hour. I want to start by thanking my sponsors. They include Jeff Staples Real Estate, the uh, Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. In fact, I have a very special announcement for my listeners about Nikki's. In fact, I'm going to start out. I want to, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to brag for just a moment just because uh, this is what, one of the great loves that I have in life is cooking with fire. People who know me know this. In fact, I, I strongly suspect that some of my friends are probably based on the idea that, uh, hey, Brian's got his smoker out again, and uh, and they know that uh, there's something delicious. And I love to share. Seriously, it's it's like it's like my love language. So every year, my wife and her sisters and and her aunts and her mom all get together and do kind of a mom's weekend. And this year, Becky asked me, would you think of something that you could cook up, something you could do on your smoker that we could enjoy, you know, for dinner? And so the first thing I did was I went to Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse because he has such an incredible selection of, of meats at prices I can actually afford. And I scored this amazing pork tenderloin. Now, I'm talking about a 12-pound pork tenderloin. And I took it home. I cut it up into three pieces because it's, it's a pretty lengthy thing. You know, it's a couple feet long. And uh, I brined it. In this amazing brine that my daughter learned how to make when she was working up in Alaska. This is, this is the brine they would use for the, for the salmon they would smoke. And I apologize, by the way, if I'm making you hungry, but this is one of the side effects of talking about food, which I like to do. <laughs> so I brined them for a bit, and then, uh, you know, you wash off the brine, put them on the smoker with a little uh, Cajun rub, and just let it smoke to a perfect 145 degrees. Hold them at 145 degrees. The temperature goes up to 150. Why am I going into such detail? Well, it's making me hungry now, too. Because when you hit that perfect temperature, it comes out juicy. It comes out tender. It comes out so flavorful. And then I sliced it nice and thin. And 20-plus people were more than fed by that one pork loin. In fact, it was so good, I actually took some to Paul over at Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse so he could try some, too. And he got excited about it. He says, hey, tell your listeners that I'm running a special today. So here's the thing. If you are in or around the Salt Lake City area and you want to take advantage of this, if you have a smoker, I would really encourage you to jump on this. He's got a whole freezer truck full of meats, and I'm talking all kinds of great stuff from from great big New York uh, strips. The, this is the, the whole big you know slab that they cut them from. You can get briskets. You can get uh, ribs. And he's got a bunch of these pork loins. And, and, and for, for my listeners, if you go into Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, he will actually cut you a deal. I think he said $1.79 a pound. This is prime stuff. This is so good. So if you're looking to stock up a little bit, here's your opportunity. For directions, go to Facebook, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, and post pics. I mean, share your pictures. Show, show some love. Put up a little food porn with, with whatever you throw on the smoker. 
And I apologize for taking a few minutes to do this, but I just I love it when something turns out great. And I love it. I love seeing the expression on people's faces when they're eating something that just, you know, blows their mind as their eyes roll back in their head. I mean, it's it's I take that as like the ultimate compliment. So now, you know, way more about me and and my cooking habits than you ever wanted to. But uh, you also know where if, if you likewise are kind of a foodie and you love looking for an excuse to throw something on the smoker. Now, you know how you can indulge your habit and still keep it within reason, you know, cost wise. So what else shall we talk about today? So much going on. Um, I, I wasn't going to spend a lot of time talking about the, uh, you know, the Biden emails. And I really don't care that much. Look, I there's no delicate way to say this. Joe Biden's a politician, has been for over four decades. In my mind, that means, look, anybody who can survive the political swamp for for more than just a, a handful of years without, like, physically getting sick or, or being so repulsed by it that they just want to leave and go into therapy, they've got to be a crook. And I'm sorry if I've offended, you know, if I've said this about any of your favorite politicians, but you don't survive that corrupt of a system without... <sighs> without becoming a part of it. Does that make sense? So I'm more interested in what's coming out of this story, and that is I have never seen such a concerted effort in my life to spike a story, to, to, to stifle any kind of commentary or any dissemination of information on it. And it's not just social media. It's actually the regular heritage media as well. They do not want people talking about the Biden email story. So I'm going to spend a little less time talking about, uh, you know, yeah, this is here's the proof why Hunter Biden was a crook and his dad is a crook. I, I just take that as a, as a granted thing. You know, if they're if they're in politics, the chances are really good. Yeah, they're probably crooks. Here's the bigger story, though. Big tech is trying to censor a story about corruption. Is there a lesson that we might uh, draw from this? Or is there something we could infer from their determination to keep us from even discussing it, from even sharing it? And I mean, I'm seeing people's accounts locked all over the place. Let's start with a commentary from Brad Palumbo. This is from the Foundation for Economic Education. This one made me chuckle because the headline, I think, hits the truth right on the head. The nail is hit. Big tech tried to censor the New York Post's Hunter Biden story. They made it huge. Instead, the byline says in a free society, attempts by Silicon Valley to force narratives down from up above will only backfire spectacularly. Now, Brad starts by by noting, look, elections are messy. And as the day of any election gets closer, more stories are leaked as opponents and muckraking journalists try to hurt the opposition's campaign. Now, this process can be ugly. Just ask John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. But it plays an important role in informing voters. And it was on display just a few weeks ago when President Trump's tax returns were leaked and then published to call light to the fact that he had limited his federal income tax liability to just seven hundred fifty dollars in 2016 and 2017. Now, similarly, a blockbuster report from The New York Post this week asserted that Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, influenced or rather introduced business contract contacts to his father, in an allegedly improper pay-for-influence setup. 
The Post reported on a message of appreciation that Vadim Pozarsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent to Hunter Biden back on April 17th of 2015. That's about a year after Hunter joined the Burisma board at a reported salary of up to $50,000 a month. It also reported on salacious images of Hunter Biden using drugs and engaging in sexually explicit acts. Now, that report has been contested, declared false by the Biden campaign, challenged by left-leaning media outlets. The Washington Post fact-checker, for example, has cast doubt on the authenticity of the emails and the claim that Biden ever met with Pozarski. And Brad Palumbo asks, does any of this matter? Are the allegations legitimate? It should be up to the voters to weigh conflicting reports and decide for themselves. But instead, Silicon Valley tech wizards decided to throttle and ban the Post story, which they presumptively and unilaterally declared misinformation across their massive platforms. Facebook used its algorithm to try to limit the story's reach. Twitter took it several steps further. Twitter actually locked the New York Post's Twitter account and even banned the president's press secretary for sharing the story. Journalists who shared the link awoke to find their accounts suspended. The company claimed the article violated its policy on spreading hacked content, even though this is not proven that it stems from hacking, and this policy is rarely applied to other big stories. By the way, Glenn Greenwald pointed out their hypocrisy in a tweet saying, look carefully at what Twitter's saying to justify censoring the Biden story. If applied consistently, it would mean that some of history's most consequential journalism the Pentagon Papers, WikiLeaks war logs, Snowden docs, Panama Papers, uh, his own Brazil archive would be banned. Interesting point. Twitter even limited the ability of users to link to the story and attached a dangerous content warning to existing links. This unprecedented restriction on the free flow of journalism by big tech companies is concerning and represents a rather transparent attempt to protect the Biden campaign. After all, data do show that employees at tech giants overwhelmingly skewed Democrat in their political donations. Brad Palumbo says, yes, it's true. Facebook and Twitter are private companies and they have the legal right to limit content on their platform. The First Amendment does not apply to them. But he points out that their decision to do so is still morally wrong and counterproductive. We'll talk about why that's the case. Just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. I am sharing with you an article from Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education about why it's important that uh, that we don't encourage censorship. Yes, even if it's done by a private company as, as opposed by government. Now, this is a far cry from saying, therefore, government should step in and punish Twitter and, and Facebook for banning the story or at least trying to spike the story about uh, Hunter Biden. Here's the point that uh, Brad Palumbo's making. He says the American political system depends on the free flow of information. 
It's important that voters can share and debate and contest information freely, not have to rely or not have to navigate, rather, a web of censorship on the main mediums we've come to rely on in order to do so. So for this reason, Facebook and Twitter's efforts were counterproductive. Their attempted crackdown totally, woefully failed. In fact, if anything, it probably encourages people like myself to start saying, oh, really, you don't want me to share this? Well, then I have a duty to share it. We don't like being told what to do. And we really don't like being told what to think. That's what makes us wrong thinkers. Brad Palumbo says the story about alleged corruption in the Biden family was initially making something of a splash, but it wasn't totally dominating the news. Yet once big tech tried to censor it, the report exploded. It became the prime topic of discussion on cable news. The censorship itself trended on Twitter, calling much more attention to the story than before. And it prompted top lawmakers like Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley to speak out publicly and draw even more attention to the story. Even on Facebook itself, stories about the story censorship were so widely shared that they dominated the website's rankings. As Politico's Alex Thompson notes, in September of an election year, Daily Wire articles drove more engagement on Facebook than any other news source. The top 10 hours for the past or top 10 articles rather for the past 24 hours were all about the New York Post and its story. So as Brad Palumbo points out here, if you wanted to keep the story about Hunter Biden quiet, this was about the worst possible way to do it. Wannabe censors everywhere need to take note. It's what's been coined in what's been coined the uh, Streisand effect. Censoring something, especially in the age of the Internet, has the inverse effect of drawing exponentially more attention to it. It's like yelling, don't look where I'm pointing. (laughs) Everybody's going to look. Brad Palumbo said this New York Post story is going to be a thousand times bigger deal now that big tech has tried to memory hole it out of blatant loyalty to Biden's presidential campaign. He says, Google the Streisand effect and don't make this mistake again. By the way, if you haven't heard of the Streisand effect. In 2003, a picture of Barbara Streisand's beachfront home hit the Web as part of a public collection of images displaying coastal erosion. Now, in response In February of 2003, Streisand sued the photographer for $50 million for invasion of privacy, claiming violation of a state law aimed at the telephoto lenses of the paparazzi. Ironically, the media attention surrounding the lawsuit made the photo of her house go viral, at least in in 2003 terms. In the month before the lawsuit, that picture had been downloaded just six times, including twice by her lawyers. Whereas the image was downloaded more than 420,000 times during the month following the lawsuit. This paradoxical result, where an attempt to silence, suppress, or stop something backfires, was dubbed the Streisand effect. So the takeaway here is clear. Sunlight, not censorship, is the best antidote for bad ideas and bad information. Brad Palumbo says, so maybe big tech should rethink its misguided move toward political censorship and embrace its original role as providing platforms for the free flow of information. Voters are smart enough to decide for themselves. Any more major attempts by Silicon Valley to force narratives down from up above will only backfire spectacularly. If Facebook and Twitter keep it up, free speech competitors like Parler will continue to grow. Competition and consumer pushback, not heavy-handed government regulation, are how we will preserve a free and open Internet. 
Okay, so that's the social media side. What about the regular media? Here's an article from Robbie Suave on Reason.com. The media do not want you to read, share, or discuss the New York Post's Hunter Biden scoop. And he raises, I think, the, the, the really pressing question that has come to my mind about this, and that is, what's the, what's the function? What is the role of a press in a free society, of the press in a free society? What should it do? Is its job to give us sufficient facts so that we can make up our own minds? Or is the role of the press to protect us from whatever it prefers we don't see? His point being the media is missing a grand opportunity to correct a story rather than pretend it doesn't exist. So it was what, Wednesday when the New York Post published that attention-getting original report, Smoking Gun Email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to VP Dad. Now, it's a story that merits the attention of other journalists, political operatives, national security experts, and also the public at large, says Robbie Suave, not the least of all because there are serious questions about its accuracy, reliability, and sourcing. He says, and yet many in the media are choosing not just to ignore the story, but to actively encourage others to suppress any discussion of it. In fact, two mainstream reporters who acknowledged and criticized the Post's scoop, the New York Times, Maggie Haberman and Politico's Jake Sherman, faced thunderous denunciation on Twitter from Democratic partisans simply for discussing the story. Center for American Progress President Neera Tanden accused Haberman of promoting disinformation. And New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg told Sherman, Sherman that he was helping nefarious conservative activists, quote, launder this BS into the news cycle. Historian Kevin Cruz asked him, why are you amplifying the story? Now, here's the kicker. Both of these reporters actually raised serious questions about the veracity of the story. And these are questions that certainly deserve answers. As Robbie Suave writes, according to the New York Post, the email was obtained from the hard drive of a computer that may or may not have belonged to Hunter Biden. Someone allegedly gave the laptop to a computer repair store owner in Delaware back in 2019. Now, the FBI took possession of that laptop in December 2019, according to the New York Post, but not before the store owner copied the hard drive and sent it to former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani an attorney for President Donald Trump, and a central figure in the Trump-Ukraine-Biden kerfuffle. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon then learned about the email and contacted the New York Post. Now remember, Giuliani and Bannon are political operatives with a long history of shady activity. So the fact that they were the intermediary sources for this story, yeah, that should raise some red flags. But that doesn't mean the story is untrue. For what it's worth, the New York Post included photographs from the hard drive that allegedly confirm its authenticity. However, even if everything contained within the story turned out to be true, it still would not prove that the sought-after meeting with Joe Biden actually took place. A spokesperson for Biden said on Wednesday that according to Biden's schedule, he never met with the Burisma official. See, this is the work of journalism. It's to ask questions, to probe, to find, to share the truth. Haberman and Sherman were right to let their audiences know that the New York Post story exists and they were right to challenge it. Many others in the media apparently believe the public cannot be trusted with such a challenging article 
How's that for patronizing? They've not merely shamed people for sharing it online, but they also want to make it difficult for people to read the report at all. In defending his decision to uh, to publish, say, the Steele dossier, which contained unverified, dubious, and speculative information, then BuzzFeed News Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith, now a media critic for the New York Times, said, you trust, uh, you trust us to give you the full story. We trust you to reckon with a messy, sometimes uncertain reality. So uh, Robbie Suave says that's the lesson the entire media really should take to heart and apply evenly no matter the inconvenience of the narrative. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. By the way, I just heard from my friend Paul at Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. And again, this this is of extreme importance for my listeners in and around the uh, Wasatch Front or Salt Lake area. Not only is pork loin $1.79 a pound for my listeners, pork ribs are two forty nine. These are amazing ribs, by the way. I snagged a, a rack of them yesterday when I was there. Beef brisket, three thirty nine a pound. Now, I realize not everybody speaks the language of barbecue, but those of you who do, you recognize those are killer prices. For directions on how to get to Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, go to Facebook, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. This is the important thing. When you go in there and you purchase, make sure you tell them, hey, I heard Brian talking about this. He said, if I mention it, I'm going to get a really good deal. So if you're looking to stock up on meat, this is the time to do it. Do it now. Do it. Don't wait until meat's super expensive or hard to find at the grocery store. Remember, it wasn't so many months ago they were saying, oh, you can only take two of these kinds of items. You're not going to have that issue at Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. So I have been watching very closely the uh, reporting of the debates. Ha! Not the debates themselves. I really, I don't, I just don't have that time or interest. And, and I guess uh, there were town hall meetings yesterday. So the president had a town hall meeting on one network and Joe Biden had one on the other. Um, look, you can think whatever you want about uh, Donald Trump. I would have to give the guy credit for at least he's not just debating Joe Biden, but apparently he's debating the entire press corps, at least everybody who can get near him to uh to debate him. And it's and it's contentious. It is just ugly. I know his opponents would say, well, that's just Trump. Trump is the ugly, contentious one. No, I think it takes two to tango. And and it looked like his uh, his exchange went uh, went about as would be expected. Hostile questioning. Uh, Joe Biden, on the other hand, I understand, sat down with George Stephanopoulos reminiscing about old times. I don't know if you remember the old uh, Chris. Uh, uh, what was his name? Chris Farley talking about uh, you know when he would interview somebody famous hey remember remember that time when you you did a song with the beatles yeah that was cool i mean it's just softball questions just make it uh, make it as easy as possible is your chair comfortable can i get you a bowl of soup or anything i just don't want you to get faint on the drive home anyway thanks <laughs> yeah i think i think it's pretty clear 
there's there's a there's a little bit of bias on display. Here's the thing that gets me, though. No matter how biased or unbiased these examiners, these debate moderators are, why is it that the questions asked at the debate are either calculated, well, this is going to destroy this candidate, or this is going to portray this one as, now, do you love puppies more, or, or do you love kittens? Well, they look at him with Bambi eyes. Oh, that's so great. What if they were able to ask real questions, something that would actually help us separate the wheat from the chaff? You don't see a lot of interest in this, at least in, in political circles. I mean, there are some things that just don't, they don't get mentioned. And it's those things that I think would, would help more of us start to realize, hey, uh, you guys are corrupt. <laughs> or you guys are totally self-serving. And you've been blowing sunshine up our skirts long enough, we're really tired of it. And so they steer towards topics that, you know, well, of course, I, this is what I want to do, and this is how I want to help, and here's why my opponent uh, is an evil person who, you know, you can always just follow the screams of doomed children to find him wherever he is. Okay, whatever. Steve Berger, in a piece that was published on LewRockwell.com earlier today, has questions for the next debate, assuming that they ever have a next debate. These are the kind of questions that I think would be useful, not just for what they would tell us about the candidates, but also for what they would tell us about our own understanding of whether government at the presidential level, right on down, is acting within its proper scope. Ready for a few of these? How about these questions? Should the state and science be separated? Why should experts in one field, such as science or epidemiology, be presumed to know what the trade-offs and opportunity costs are of their lockdown policies? Here's another question. Are lockdowns, mask wearing, social distancing mandates by the federal or state governments constitutional? Would civil protests against lockdown policies be afforded the same civil protection as protests for Black Lives Matter? Oh, here's another good one. Are the Federal Reserve policies of zero interest and quantitative easing supporting of income and wealth inequality? If so, why should race equality be added to its dual mandate? Should the Supreme Court be packed? Now, since this question has been asked but not answered, Steve Berger says, I, sub I submit that it be reposed. Here's another good one. How long do temporary emergencies last? The initial rationale Trump asserted for a nationwide lockdown was to flatten the curve, to avoid hospitals from being overrun with emergency cases. But once that threat evaporated, with the possible temporary exception of New York City, the goalposts have been changed and moved so as to make a permanent or make a temminent, temporary measure a permanent part of the landscape. Next, he asks, is prolonging biological life in the COVID bubble while denying citizens culture, sports, the right to attend religious houses of worship, or visit gravely ill family members a life worth living? How about this one? Who will pay for the $4 trillion and counting a federal deficit created this year to fill the hole created by the mandated cessation of economic activity? Oh, I would love to see candidates, and I mean at all levels, Answer that question. Here's a good one. Do tariffs buy American policies and subsidies to other favored special interest groups advance the interest of the American consumer? 
Will an increase in the minimum wage law lead to more minority unemployment? How about this? Will racial diversity policies, including affirmative action and quotas in college admissions, college admissions policies, rather, lead to more racial discrimination? Here's another ringer of a question. Should Should the state and education be separated? And then he goes on to some, some past history here. Was the Iraqi war justified? And if so, was it worth the cost? What is your philosophy on the role of the U.S. government in overseas conflicts in the Middle East? President Eisenhower alerted Americans to the dangers of the military-industrial complex. And President Kennedy wanted to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces. Should their warnings be heeded? If so, explain how you implement their advice. Now, by now, you're probably getting the picture. And Steve Berger says, hey, instead of any of these topics, we've had debates that really aren't even debates, but rather shouting contests, accusations, avoidance of questions and slogan filled gibberish with perhaps the most entertaining element being whether a fly would be trapped in Pence's perfectly coiffed hair. In the words of Hillary Clinton, the true deplorables in both parties are both parties candidates for our highest office and the true losers in all of this sordid chicanery is the American people. If only we had an H.L. Mencken instead of the mainstream media to comment on this circus. Does that strike you as just a little too harsh? Because I'm actually thinking maybe that's not harsh enough. Look, here's here's the bottom line. Nobody is going to do a better job of determining truth from from falsehood or fact from fiction than you. And that doesn't mean, well, you know, you have to handle all the evidence, you have to make up your mind. You've just got to become a person who thinks and weighs things critically. Now, that doesn't mean that you automatically oppose everything that you hear. It means that you ask questions to make sure you're getting the most well-rounded or, or best uh, possible view from all angles of that particular subject. And if somebody like me, I mean, look, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm the world expert on this. I'm just saying this is, this is a skill that I have actively worked at building and acquiring and, and honing for at least the last 25 years. And again, I sure don't have all the answers. I won't pretend to. But I've noticed my ability to spot when a politician is obfuscating or just just shining, you know, on, hey, how are you? That used car salesman grin. It's a lot easier to pick up on when they're they're leaving the narrative incomplete or they're trying to, to tell us something here. I want you to believe this. And I'm going to start with these emotion laden words that are going to steer you in the direction I want you to go. You got to become kind of a human lie detector. And it's not that it's going to make you miserable. I mean, it's it's a little bit disconcerting when you realize, oh my gosh, they lie every time they turn around. Same thing with the media. There's a lot of disinformation being sent our way. But there's also something very empowering and very reassuring about taking ownership of your own worldview, even if it involves saying, I don't know, on regular occasions. Think about it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out to Jeff Staples Real Estate. You can, uh, you can check out his uh, website, jeffstaplesrealtor.com. You can also go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com and at the very bottom of the page, I have a special little uh, category there for all of my sponsors. I would encourage you to do business with them. Now, if you're within the sound of my voice here in the state of Utah and you are either buying or selling a home, talk to Jeff. He's with ERA Brokers Consolidated. He has people all over the state that can help you. And by help you, I mean help you sell your home for more, help you buy your home for less. That is the name of the game. And Jeff Staples Real Estate is where you need to go. Go to jeffstaplesrealtor.com. Okay, couple fun topics here. This is uh, I, I've I've shared this on uh, my my Facebook page, the Brian Hyde Show Facebook page. It's it's a tweet that I saw earlier. I think it was Young Americans for Liberty who had posted it, and the the caption is when the government tries to replicate the success of the free market. I'm not making the connection, but I'm thoroughly enjoying the video because it starts with a guy cruising along and and you can't tell is he on a recumbent bike is he you know is he on a go-kart or something he's clearly cruising along it looks what looks like venice beach in california just going down the sidewalk and i mean he's boogieing right along and then someone is filming from a perspective that's not him like he's he's doing the selfie perspective but then someone shows him going by it's a guy sitting in a mop bucket now, the mop bucket is is mounted to a skateboard, okay? That's why it's rolling so beautifully. But he's holding an umbrella and a cordless leaf blower out in front of him and blowing the leaf blower into the umbrella. And by God, it's working. And he's cruising right along. I'd like to say he looks really cool. He actually looks kind of uncomfortable. But he's clipping along at a pretty good pace. It's enough to make me stop for a moment and actually consider, man, I wonder if I should buy a mop bucket. <laughs> I've got the leaf blower sitting here. My son is the one who owns the leaf blower, but uh, just got to find an umbrella. Yeah, I think that would work. All right. Here's the second thing. Speaking of innovation, I thought this was just brilliant. Um, in southern Utah is a wonderful business called Staley West. And Dave Staley is the owner and founder of the company. Um, he invented a machine that processes alfalfa at precisely the right humidity and temperature to keep it from molding. And this is a big deal. If you're a farmer, you understand this stuff. The rest of us are like, okay, all right. But bottom line is it just made it easier for people to to bale their hay and, and to not lose it to fungus or to mold that comes from it being too wet or not wet enough or, you know, the wrong temperature. It's a really remarkable machine, and he has been sending these all over the world. And it's a pretty big operation. It's grown from a fairly small company to something that, again, has worldwide marketing. And apparently they were visited by the health department recently, yesterday, as a matter of fact, about posting a notice on their door to help people feel safe when they come to call. Have you started to notice pretty much every business you go to? You know, has something about masks on the door. Here's the sign that they posted at Staley West. COVID-19 notice. There are unmasked human beings in our facility. For the protection and security of our great employees, we require the removal of masks prior to entering so we can see who you are 
and your smiling face. After we confirm your identity and are sure that you are happy, if you're afraid, you can replace your mask if you want to. It's your choice. Thank you for your cooperation. I don't know why, but that just seems like a fun and elegant way to put the the ownership and the responsibility right where it belongs. And that's on your shoulders and my shoulders, rather than, you know, having to uh, become some version of the mask hall monitors or the mask police. It just shows me they've got a great sense of humor. And I think uh, knowing Dave, Dave's got a got a great feel for for what it is to to be a free American. So salute to Dave Staley and Staley West. That's very cool. (laughs) I do get a kick out of the few businesses I see, and they're very few, but I do see some where occasionally you will see someone uh, that says no masks required in this business or warning. We don't encourage the wearing of masks in this business. And I understand they get they get, you know, hit up by the health department. Now you have to do this. Oh, I will take your business license. All that licensing leverage. But I love the ones that strike a defiant tone and can do it with a, with a bit of humor. Now, here's an interesting article. This is on the American Institute for Economic Research website, The Year of Disguises. This is by Roger W. Coops. And as I read this article, I had to reflect. You know, there was a time probably when we were kids, but there was a time when it was actually cool. Do you remember we looked forward to wearing masks? I just thought that, uh, you know, that was the neatest thing, because, of course, masks meant Halloween, and that meant there was going to be some candy, there was going to be a sugar high, and yeah, what not to look forward to. Now that masks are a mandatory part of our existence, I'm having a much tougher time being enthusiastic about it. And I like the, the title of this article, The Year of Disguises. Roger W. Koop says 2020 is a year of disguises. Some examples include computer models or modelers disguised as science slash scientists, tyrants, dictators, totalitarians disguised as elected officials, propaganda machines disguised as news sources, brainwashing disguised as information, censorship disguised as public health safeguard, panic and fear disguised as social responsibility. He says even the virus itself has been disguised by humans as an apocalypse. But the last part is not the doing of the virus, but the doings of a select number of human beings who are responsible for many of the other disguises as well. And he says, if you look at the totality of events in 2020, it's clear that the average citizen has generally been treated less than human, certainly not as adults in any case. He says, I believe we are in as great a crisis as a species as we ever have been. And the crisis is not from some seasonal virus, which is a health issue, but it is from ourselves and what we have devolved into as a species, social, cultural, ideological issues. Now, he says, I have debated with myself on how to approach the following essay. Under normal circumstances, it would be easy. But the topic has been so warped and sensationalized into political and social hyperbole. It is difficult to get a handle on it. He says, I could go at it from a strictly scientific perspective, but that would tune many people out. So he says, after about two weeks of my own internal debate and several versions, I've decided to treat the readers of this essay as human adults. I'll try not to get too technical, but will rather use rational arguments to approach the issue of a viral infection from the perspective of the virus molecule outside of the host, 
In other words, the natural environment. Computer modeling is a tool, not the tool. And he says the model is only as good as the assumptions put into the model. And it's been clear from the start that the modelers have no idea of how a virus works in the natural world. They base their modeling on the assumption that the culprit is the human being. The human being must be controlled in order to control the virus. And this is completely wrong. So he says, I hope to present arguments that illustrate the weakness of the modeling concepts. Now, from here, the article gets pretty in-depth. He talks about human perception. He talks about the virus and what we are dealing with. And he uses uh, some scientific charts to illustrate, uh, for instance, the size of, uh, you know, what a surgical mask can block versus the size of, uh, you know, dust or a virus. He also talks about the virus and disease transmission. And I'm going to tell you, make make some time to read this because it's not something you're going to sit down and digest in five minutes. Well, that was an easy read. This is easily something that, that could take the better part of an hour to truly sit down and understand. That's assuming you don't just skim it, but you actually want to understand. And he talks about don't masks make a difference. Goes into a very detailed answer there. The bottom line here, and I'm just going to summarize because, frankly, we're up against the clock. If governments want to be helpful in reducing severe disease and deaths, imposing more laws and restrictions is not the answer. He says it's time for human beings to be human beings again. Stop trying to lay blame and guilt on people for a natural virus. Instead, we should be focusing on educating people how to better maintain their immune systems, encouraging healthier lifestyles through education and wellness programs, especially in the less fortunate of our society. Provide or encourage businesses to consider better sick leave alternatives for people in all jobs or vocations so that people aren't driven by the choice of work to live or stay home and be sick. It's an excellent article. Again, you will find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. One final plea, if you are in or around the Salt Lake City area, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse I'm telling you, if you love to cook with fire, you'll be glad you're my listener. But you got to tell them when you get to the checkout stand. Thanks again for joining us. This is The Brian Hyde Show.